Madhunatramanandasya Juna Juna Salakaya Chakshun Militanyena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Vajakapadubhisya Kripasindavivacha Patita Dampamane Bhyo Vaishnavijudamo Namaha So, uh, good evening everyone. So we're going to uh, begin this evening on a new course of study of the basics of sadhana bhakti, hopefully to enrich our practice in a way that it becomes more fruitful at uh, at the most opportune of times. When we look at sadhana bhakti, we look at our practice, that that practice uh, goes according to a normal course of action. You would say, well, normally you can't you can't speed up that course. There has to be a natural falling away of of bad habit. There has to be a natural uh, a natural rising above the modes of passion and ignorance, uh, and that comes about uh, in due course of time, but. In addition to time, there is also the amount of effort that one can put into the process. And not everyone's effort is going to yield the same result. Some may have to struggle very hard for some time, and then they'll go through a period where they won't struggle, and then it may come again. Sadhana bhakti is this. This is the struggle of, uh, of, of getting everything properly arranged so that we can we can take to a a proper uh, consciousness which is not self self ego uh, it has to be ego effacing it has to be uh, taking on that ego which is a serving ego and that's that's going to vary according to our our conditioning so you could say, well, there you, all you can do, it's going to take some time. It's just like the ripening of a fruit. It's going to, it's going to ripen when the time is right, when it's, it's naturally uh, come to that. But in addition to that, to that the sadhika, he can, he can, he can, in his practice, increases effort and that increased effort does not go without notice. Vishwanath Chakravarti in our last series we went over Madhurya Kadambani and in Madhurya Kadambani he makes it quite clear that Bhakti is completely independent. So she's going to her the mercy of Bhakti is going to come through the agency of Bhakti, the sadhus, specifically the guru uh, when everything is properly situated. Sometimes it comes without effort, sometimes it comes with a considerable amount of effort on the part of the sadhika. Um, but in every instance, there's some divine scheme. We should never think when we're going through the difficult times that it's, you know, there isn't some rhyme or reason to the to the necessity of us going through 
periods, the ups and downs, the attentive, the inattentive, the the uh, 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 the different stages of of unsteadiness, as Vishwanath pointed out in Madhurya Kadamani, uh, enthusiasm, running hot and cold, uh, thinking that we can make a change in our arrangement and things will get better. Uh, uh, these things are there in our devotional life, but there is one thing that we can do. And the one th- thing that we can do that will yield a helpful it will it'll make our advancement quite quite good is we can increase our engagement in bhakti we can increase our association with those things that are favorable to bhakti we can decrease our association with those things which are unfavorable um, that we can do and what that does is of course, bhakti is fully independent. It's going to come at its own on its own terms, but we can show that we are completely open to to receiving bhakti. Um, so, uh, just like a, a a young couple, a young they're trying to get get to know each other. So we're trying to get to know bhakti. Davies trying to see: Are we fit? Are we fit to receive mercy? Well, there's some things we can do. We can we can dress appropriately if we're invited out on a date. Okay? We can accept the what is that? A corsage <laughs> or the lapel pin. Yes, you can put it on, it's okay. Um, we can uh, you know we can open the door for the other party and graciously, graciously accept the open door as an invitation. Yes, let's go. Um, so it may be a first date. We really don't know the other person. We don't know what we're getting into. But there's things we can do to show that we're, we're certainly willing to, to cooperate. So I think if we look because what we're going to discuss now is a is a book by Bhakti Vinod Thakur and just as Madhurya Kadambani was based on two verses from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu by Srila Rupa Goswami uh, the next book that we're going to study Bhakti Aloka is based on two verses from Rupa Goswami, but not from his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, but from his Upadeshamrita. Now, Upadeshamrita is is a condensed uh, book outlining. what are very what the consciousness what the conscious approach to the practice of bhakti should be it outlines some very very concisely 
some very important instructions in the practice of one's bhakti. And the mentalities that are favorable to our, our advancement and the proper conceptual orientation in progressing in spiritual life. Now the book begins, this Upadeshamrita, and Upadeshamrita was uh, also translated into English uh, by our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, and he called it the nectar of instruction. So he had the nectar of devotion, was his uh, summary study of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and the nectar of instruction was his was his presentation of these instructions from Rupa Goswami, the Upadesha Amrita. And what, what's Bhakti Vinod Thakur's book's name? Bhakti, Bhakti, Bhakti Loka. Bhakti Loka. So, this book by Rupa Goswami, Upadesha Amrita, begins with four verses. And each of those four verses, the beginning four verses, contains six items. So it's four groupings of six items. Um, and then he goes on to, to explain how we ascertain who are the Vaishnavas, which are good association, <laughs> And as I said, it goes on to, to de- it, in its development uh, to present uh, proper mental approach into, in understanding what is the, the ultimate objective of devotional service, which is service to Radha and Krishna. So this book... Bhakti Aloka was actually compiled from some articles that Bhakti Vinod Thakur had written in his periodical I don't know if they put it here uh, uh, no I didn't don't have the introduction here um Basically, there was, it's a monthly periodical that he put out. So these articles, these six articles, were put together into this this booklet. Now, if he did that himself, or if his, if his disciples did that, or Bhakti Siddhanta's disciples did that, I'll let you know. There is an introduction. I did not read the introduction uh, from my preparation tonight. But... Uh, Let's talk about Upadesha Amrita just a little bit more. And although Bhaktivinoda's six articles, his essays, actually there are 12 essays for, you know, these two verses, the second and third verse of Upadesha Amrita. Uh, So that would be... dealing with 12 items. Six items that are unfavorable to our devotional practice and six items that are favorable. So these are from the second and third verse of Upadesha Amrita. 
well, why didn't he include the first verse? Because it's specific to that person. It's basically giving some indication of what are the qualifications from a material viewpoint of the bona fide guru. In other words, these are, these are the minimum qualifications. If we're going to take any kind of spiritual directive from anyone, then they cannot find as their source of pleasure this material world. So the first verse from Upadesha Amrita uh, has some, some qualifications of the bona fide guru. Vacho Vegam, Manasakrada Vegam, Jiva Vegam, Udarapasta Vegam, Etan Vegam Yo Visahetira, Sarvam Apimam, Prithivimsa Sashat. One who can control the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the actions of anger, and the urges of the tongue, belly and genital, that person is qualified to accept disciples all over the world. That just goes to show what the high position is of someone who has no longer any material involvement. Uh, control the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the actions of anger, and the pushings of the tongue, the belly, and the genital. Seems like a simple thing, but who can do this? Practically, in today's society, we'd say such a person was a superman. Of course, we don't look on these things as being very super. Uh, so the materialist would say, ah, oh, that's a fool. <laughs> For our superman, we want somebody who can blow up a building or, uh, you know, fly in the sky or, uh, you know, bed steel with their bare hands. This is a superman. No, this other is the real superman. So that's the opening verse of Upadesha Amrita. And then Rupa Goswami goes on to explain six items that are unfavorable and six items that are favorable. Now, for the next class, I'll have these opening four verses so that we will chant those between er before every class as we go through. Uh, we'll go through all four verses. Uh, and... Really, as I said, the first verse is giving us some qualification, preliminary qualification, because also we know that that real qualification over and above controlling the material senses and the mind and the anger uh, and speaking uh, you know, nonsense. Bes besides these things, there's the specific qualification is the guru has to know Krishna. So, uh, Rupa Goswami doesn't mention this in the opening verse, but he does qualify that in the fifth verse. He gets into how do we understand who a devotee is and who is the topmost devotee. And then he comes into the actual quali additional qualifications that are required. So these six essays uh, that make up the book uh, that we are uh, 
giving some classes on here, um, takes off with the second verse. Bhaktivinoda uh, gets into an explanation of what does it mean, um, what is Rupa Goswami's, these individual items, these six items, which can can impede our rapid progress. So as I said, there is some some effort on our part, and that effort puts us in good grace. It puts us in good graces with those that can give bhakti. They see that there's some effort on our part, and they say, well, yes. And they, they, it looks like it's a material exchange, but it's not. Because the effort itself, in order to bear devotional fruit, has to be a devotional effort. So we should never look at the our efforts in, in devotional service as as a material affair. Our effort is to gain grace, and that effort is an effort which is spiritual. Its nature is spiritual. Why is its nature spiritual? Because the directive is coming from a spiritual source. So when the spiritual master gives us some direction, it's a spiritual direction. Our fo- implementing that direction in our life, our following that directive, is spiritual. But the result, as I said, cannot be balanced at all with the fruit of the effort. We just, when we came to the end of Madhurya Kadambani, what did that devotee who would attain Prem, what was his consciousness at the time of having a personal audience with the Lord. When he wakes up, what was was that a dream? Was it real? No, it couldn't have been a dream. Well, maybe it was. I finally I got what I want, but what I got was trillions of times more than I can have even imagined was the goal of my sadhana. And I couldn't have done anything. There's nothing that I could have done that would result in something like that. So it had to come by the mercy of some great devotee. He's extended. So, similarly, when we look to sadhana bhakti, when we look to the fact that we're making an effort, that effort is to obtain grace. But whatever effort we make will never equal the benefit of actually advancing in devotional life and tasting the sweetness of Krishna through pleasing the sadhus, through executing the orders of the spiritual master. You cannot put it on a scale. There is no scale that can measure the benefit that comes. What can you put on that scale? What did, what did we hear? That, that poetry that Vishwanath himself wrote it's like a comparing a fly to the Garuda. You know, it's like comparing Mount Meru, which is made of solid gold, to the half of a sesame seed. There's no comparison here. So there's no comparison. But we make an effort. And the war we make an effort, the other side is, 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 is not ingrate. They, they're fully aware and conscious of that effort. 
even though we think, well, the guru isn't seeing. No, what is the guru is the external manifestation of Krishna. Krishna is seeing. Krishna has entered the sadhaka at the time of initiation, just as he's entered the deity. The guru's invited him in. Now he's there. He's there, and it, there is a Krishna's. The guru is is Krishna's external manifestation. Krishna is fully aware of the effort that's going into our practice. Now, I myself have always, I'm not really into this do's and don'ts stuff. It's just, I just never could could get my mind around all this rules of spiritual life. I mean, it's either love or it isn't love. And I think we will see as we go through these explanations of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, it's exactly his point. Forget the, forget the do's and don'ts. Let's put it in a perspective of what nurtures love and what doesn't nurture love. A smile nurtures love. It nurtures... When, when somebody comes and there's some interest of some love between two people, you don't wear a frown. Well, that's like a given. It's like, it's a natural thing. You don't ignore them. You don't, you don't go before them in an up, unkept manner. It's probably good to take a bath. You know, put on clean clothing, look nice, comb your hair, put on your makeup, shave your face, whatever. There had, you know, this is what we're talking. We're learning how to culture love. If we look at it as a bunch of do's and don'ts, that's the vitae platform. But no, our our guidance is coming from the other side. Raganuga bhakti. What's that the bhakti of? That's the bhakti of loving attraction. So what's driving our service? It looks like Vaidya from the outside. The outsider will say, well, the, the Vaidya bhaktis and, the, and, the, and these other Raganuga, they're doing the same things. Well, it, we're doing that so we please society so that they can look on us favorably. In fact, sometimes the spiritual masters, the acharyas, they make things so... Look at what Bhakti, Bhakti Siddhanta did. Prior to Bhakti Siddhanta, all this formal initiation, wearing Gayatri thread and, and you know, sannyas, taking sannyas, that wasn't there. The Raganuga Bhaktis were, were into just bhajan. And of course, unfortunately, it was like it was taken advantage of by the people. They didn't realize this is serious stuff. The Raganugas are serious people. They know the scriptures. They are very controlled. And of course their class of men said, Well, you know, they don't look so controlled and they're you know, they're not real formalized and uh you know, maybe I could just, that's a, you know, it's an easy man's religion. Let me go to the easy man's religion. And, of course, with that easy man came the easy consciousness, and the easy conscious, consciousness led to misconceptions, 
misconceptions led to what? A cheating mentality which led to a degradation of the Vaishnav and the Raganuga path. They started to, they started to, you know, fool around. The cheap man, ah, oh, it's a cheap religion, I don't have to be real strict, I don't have to, I can eat, I can, you know. But no, it went too far, so so it had to be corrected. Yada, yada, he dharma, glanir bhavati bharata, the Krishna comes, he sends his, 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 his guru, and all of a sudden, hey, along comes a, a lion, a general, like Bhakti Siddhanta, and some correction is made. All right, straighten this up a little bit. Okay. Uh, so the sahajiya element could be pushed out. So bhaktiya loka, some loving do's and don'ts, some adjustment do's and don'ts, not from a vaidi perspective, but from a perspective which will nourish that consciousness which will be a fertile ground for advancing in a loving relationship with first the spiritual master and the, and the, and the devotees, the sadhus, and will we'll nurture, ultimately, uh, the, our creeper in such a way that we come to the platform of, of wanting what manifests at the stage of a sakti. To develop affection for the Lord, to do things that, that are pleasing to Him. Um, so, the second verse of Upadeshamrita Achahara Priyasascha Prajapa Niyamagraha. Janasangas Chalayam Cha Sadbir Bhaktir Vinashyati. So this is uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami's uh, English translation. Once devotional service is spoiled, when he becomes too entangled in the following six activities. One, Achahara, eating more than necessary or collecting more funds than required. Two, prayasa, over-endeavoring for mundane things that are very difficult to obtain. Three, prajalpa, talking unnecessarily about mundane subject matters. Niyamagraha, practicing the scriptural rules and regulations only for the sake of following them and not for the sake of spiritual advancement. Or rejecting the rules and regulations of the scriptures and working independently or whimsically. Janasanga, associating with worldly-minded persons who are not interested in Krishna consciousness. And Laoyam, being greedy for mundane achievements. So Bhaktivinoda begins in his this first essay on Achahara, which is eating or collecting more than required. 
And he says, well, we have to think pretty seriously about this. Rupa Goswami's really precise in his presentations. He's, he's, I mean, look at Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. He's very specific. So, he's already talked about control of the tongue in the first verse. So, he's already talked about the the urges of the tongue, belly and genital, in the second half of the first verse. So, in the in the beginning of this verse, we have the word achahara. So. Bhaktivinoda begins by pointing out these these are not the same thing. He points out that this word lawyam, I'm I'm sorry, achahara, as as, uh, begins the second verse, is not just about eating, it's about all the senses consuming. So, what he means by that is Achahara refers to its deep meaning is that one must not take more sense gratification in that is absolutely necessary. Achahara. Eating more than necessary. Collecting more than necessary. More than necessary is the key here. Because there's no question of not eating. There's no question of not satisfying the senses. When the senses can no longer be satisfied, what do we call that? Death. When you can no longer satisfy the senses, when the senses cannot have, when there's no ability for the body to take in sensual anything anymore, the eyes have shut down, the ears have shut down, the nose, the the tongue, you know, the body's dead. It's over. We have to take. We take. That's the nature of the material body. And then he goes to Bhagavad Gita and he says, what's Krishna say about this in the Bhagavad Gita? So he quotes in his this first essay, he quotes Bhagavad Gita, goes to these verses. In the third chapter, about the fact that there's not a question of not having some sensual input. What's Krishna say? Everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities he's acquired from the modes of material nature. Nahi kaschid sanamapi 
jatu tistat jikarmakrit. Therefore, no one can refrain from doing something not even for a moment. So he's talking about the yogis. You're thinking the yogis doing nothing. No. He's doing something. Because the senses cannot be entirely, absolutely turned off. At some point, you have to come up for air. One who restrains the senses of action, but whose mind dwells on sense object, certainly deludes himself and is called a pretender. So, Krishna is just making a mockery of these so-called yogis who say, I'm controlling... No, because the last verse says what? Helplessly. We're helplessly controlled by the modes of material nature. And without my help, you cannot be freed from these modes. But actually, although the Vedas are there and I give a direction, even you follow those sections of the Vedas for the material result that you want, or you follow as a jnani for liberation, or the astanga yogi he follows to have control through mystic opulence, even though you do those things, you will not be successful unless my internal potency gives you some success. That's helpless. You are helpless. You cannot be successful on your path without the help, well, actually without the help of my devotees. Even indirectly, they have to help. Bhakti enters into the mode of goodness and sanctifies the actions of the jnani. That's what Vishwanath has told us from Madhurya Kadamani. That's how that's why it says, in order for these other paths to have success, there has to be a pinch of bhakti. Now, it's not the same bhakti that the bhaktas strive for. She transforms in such a way. Unless a sadhu, sadhu person takes interest in those individuals who are on those paths of jnana and, and karma, yoga. So, since maintaining one's life is not possible without action, one must work to maintain his life. So what does this achyahara actually mean? It means that we take what's necessary in order to perform bhakti. And that instead of... We have to take some sense gratification. We have to see something. And we're accustomed to seeing all kinds of things in, in this world. But as we become acquainted with the practice of bhakti, we're told not only how to see things, 
but also what's the best things to see. And, and the spiritual master, the devotees, they give us an environment where the seeing is favorable to bhakti. If we look at these things in that way, it makes it a lot, it's not like, well, I can't, I can't look at the right, no, let me look at the right things and gradually develop a culture of seeing which is centered on bhakti. If I want to see something beautiful, I should look at the deity. Now, it's a fact in the beginning you may want to still look at the cinema screen because that's our conditioning. But we know, we know despite our conditioning, the best place to look is at the deity or at the devotees or at the scriptures or at the lotus feet of our spiritual master. Now, we still have a tendency to look elsewhere, but let's develop the culture of looking in the right direction. Achahara. Let's develop the culture of of seeing properly, of hearing properly. Let's hear from the right source. Let's hear from a source that nourishes bhakti. Let's smell those things which are favorable. Let's taste those things that are favorable. That's easy for me. I'm, I'm good at the tasting part. Mm-hmm. And let's use our, our, our working senses in bhakti. Let's feel those things. So, achyahara means taking more sense gratification than we need. But above that, when we come to bhakti, it means what? Taking that sense gratification that is favorable to bhakti. What do we call that? Yukta vairagya. Rupa Goswami from Bhakti Rasamrita says, when one is not attached to anything but at the same time accepts everything in relation to Krishna, one is rightly situated above possessiveness. On the other hand, one who rejects everything without knowledge of its relationship to Krishna is not as complete in his renunciation. So vairagya, yukta we use things, properly utilize things, we don't renounce them unnecessarily, but we use them properly. So therefore you may have a bhakti who rides around in a car from one place to another. That's not, that's appropriate use. Items favorable to bhakti. So Achahara. And we push on to Priyasha. So one other thing he says there on Achahara. And again he goes to Bhagavad Gita in a series of verses. 
where Krishna is talking to Arjuna in the sixth chapter about the yogi. Uh, what's he tell? What's he tell Arjuna in the sixth chapter about the yogi? You'd think, wow, this is this is like this is revolutionary, because when you think of the yogi, you think of all this this controlled things, and Krishna is not talking about it that way at all. He says, there's not the possibility of being a yogi if you eat too much. Well, that makes sense. They hardly eat at all. Or eat too little. Eat too, oh, okay. Sleep too much or not sleep enough. One who's temperate. Temperate in the things of eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. Recreation? Can mitigate all material pains by practicing the yoga system. Then he goes on to say, a person, what? In the divine consciousness, although engaged in hearing, seeing, touching, smelling, eating, moving about, sleeping, and breathing always knows within himself that he actually does nothing at all. Because while speaking, evacuating, receiving, or opening and closing the eyes, he always knows that only the material senses are engaged with their sense objects. And they really have nothing to do with him. kind of like wow so a yogi is somebody that's a well balanced person that's that's far out I can handle that it's not so hard now it's something that, that's, that's within my grasp perhaps I can gradually temper my senses to, to gradually come to the platform of Devotional hearing, devotional seeing, devotional smelling, tasting, touching. Using my senses in this way, I can gradually bring them all under control. I don't have to give up the world. Real yoga means I'm not controlled by the world. But I'm all, I also realize I don't control the world. That's one thing that the yogis sometimes have a problem with. In controlling their senses, gaining control and mastery of not being controlled by the, what's outside, they want to become the controller inside. And therefore, the desire is there to attain ultimate control. They've controlled their senses. They control their eating, their sleeping. They control everything. Their mind is tranquil. They've controlled it all. They say, well, that's pretty cool. I can control all that. Why don't I just take this all the way? Let me exert this control in such a way that I can become smaller than the smallest, bigger than the biggest. I can go anywhere I want. I can control your mind. 
I can, I can, I can acquire anything I want. I can go on the pathways of the mind to any planet. The life airs, I can go anywhere in my body. So they take the control and they say, well, this is good, now let me take... All of a sudden, what are they controlled by? They're controlled by those aspirations, those desires to control everything. They started out on a good path and all of a sudden, they ended up what? They ended up a Haranyakasipu. I control so much I have today and so much I'll have tomorrow. The demigods couldn't do the yoga that Hiranyakasipu was doing. So this is the first item, Achihara. Collecting more than necessary. Indulging the senses more than necessary. Eating more than necessary. Eating as a representative of all the various senses. Any questions? I'm not sure I know how to phrase it properly, so maybe you can figure out what I'm trying to say. But on the one hand, you're saying that we're helpless, like, like everything's being controlled. Yes. So is it is it through the mind, through our intention, that we want to control our eating, our sleeping, our eating, our defending those things? Like we just have to want that, as opposed to just wanting to, you know, enjoy our senses. It's a There's, yeah. Well, Krishna's saying what? It's it's. It's laughable that within this material world you think you can control anything. Yeah. We give you the illusion of control, but in reality my modes are unconquerable. They're really unconquerable. So if we can come to that realization, that's a great place to start. But we also we we're not we also have a sphere of influence. And that sphere of influence, as limited as it is, we do have some small sphere of it, and it starts here with ourselves. So, when we we with that limited amount of influence, let us start there, and in good association, taking good direction from those that have bhakti. Let me use whatever little influence I do have, recognizing I don't have a lot, understanding at any moment. My senses can get the better of me at any moment. Well, I mean, I, I, the demigods can completely devastate me. Adi divic, Adi opmic, my senses can get the better of me. Adi divic, the, the environment can go against me in a heartbeat. And other living entities. They can make it really rough to get even, through the day. Even little chiggers. <laughs> we recognize, but we do have some little influence. We can place ourselves in the best environment for bhakti. We can associate in that environment. I can do that. 
if I'm lucky. Maybe I can't, but then maybe I have to find some other way to associate. I can do something to go towards bhakti. That's using my infinitesimal independence, which I do have. I am part and parcel of the Supreme. I have a little bit of him in him, in me, and that little bit of he has complete independence. I have teeny little bit of I can use it properly. So that's I think what we're talking yeah. about here. Yes, it's Those not that we're completely intent counts more than yeah. the intent of the of the little bird to empty the ocean uh, to get the the eggs back was was answered in a big way. So our little intent can be answered and is answered in a big way when people see the sincerity of our intent. Anything else? Thank you for your association. Hare Krishna.